hello there and welcome to Law Pod. I am Lee Hedge Pantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. And today, the subject matter for discussion will be workers' compensation, which is something that we're all familiar with, perhaps not into the extent of detail necessary, to be able to advise family members or friends if they do have a workers' compensation claim available to them and whether they need to see a solicitor. So to help me cover what is a very important topic, I have called in today Silva Ishak, who is one of my senior solicitors in the Workers' Compensation Division. Hello, Silva. Hello, Lee, and thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure, I can assure you. Silva, how long have you been with Bryden's Lawyers now? Five years now. Enjoying it? Yes, absolutely. And now one of our senior solicitors, of course, in Workers' Comp? Yes, yes, absolutely. Tell us the Silva Ishak story briefly, and why are you a lawyer? From a young age, basically goes back to my parents, you know, the importance of education. So I'm basically one of five. All of my siblings and I have graduated university now. Two of my brothers actually are engineers. My two sisters are primary school teachers and I'm the odd one out. So I'm the only one that's a lawyer. And that story started essentially, I mean, when I finished year 12, I was one of those confused students, didn't know what to do or, you know, what career path to take essentially. So I actually started in retail as a bridal consultant. I worked for a very short while there and then one of my friends applied to do a diploma in legal studies to essentially become a paralegal. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. You're not really a lawyer, but you're still working in a law firm and, you know, dealing with legal matters. So I thought, you know, I'll apply and and I did and that's where I discovered my passion and love for law and the rest is history. Well uh, (laughs) that's good for us. How did you fall into workers compensation? Um, Look I have in the past worked in mixed practices and and to be honest workers compensation clients were the the ones that I could sort of relate to the most not because I've sort of injured a workplace injury myself but you know most of our inquiries are from you know everyday mums and dads. I'm a mum myself so I do put myself in their shoes you know when someone sort of sustained a workplace injury who is working to provide for their family and they find themselves in that situation where they're basically unable to work or lose their earning capacity I basically you know to me it becomes more of a mission and it's not just a job and and that's what I enjoy it's it's rewarding in a sense that through my knowledge of the scheme I am able to help and achieve an outcome or compensation to an injured worker or their family where they could be potentially be placed in a better financial situation. So for you then, Silver, is that the best part of being a workers' compensation solicitor? Yes, absolutely, yes. So because I've most of my working career, especially as a lawyer, has been in workers' compensation, I have gained a lot of experience and knowledge in the field. And the best part for me, essentially, is utilising my experience to help those who have been disadvantaged and the best part is achieving results. Excellent. Look, look we, we've got a vague idea about workers' comp, I think, in the broader community, but you and I have been practicing in these areas for a long, long time now. So we understand the difficulties that can be faced by people in bringing a claim. And one of the concerns that they do have, of course, is how much is this going to cost me? Despite the fact that they may have been very seriously injured and they're off work, they're very concerned about the cost. So we'll, we'll deal with costing first then. What are the costs involved for an individual making a workers' compensation yeah. So the beauty of workers' compensation claims in New South 
Wales is that they are funded by the government through a body called Workers Independent Review Office, which we refer to as WIRO. So an injured worker essentially pays no legal costs whatsoever, whether they've received a settlement or not. If there's a settlement achieved, those monies are paid to them directly from the insurance company. So there's no deductions from their settlement monies to pay us. So I always tell my clients, you have nothing to lose in investigating a workers' compensation claim, but if anything, something to gain. So if the claim is successful, whatever benefits are recovered by the injured worker, the worker gets entirely? Absolutely, yes. There might be some you know, deductions to Medicare, Centrelink or tax, but in terms of our legal costs, no, there's nothing payable. We are paid entirely separately by WIRO. That's correct, All yes. Right. What if the claim is unsuccessful? Again, there is nothing payable. So in summary then, whether the claim is successful or otherwise, the client is never called upon to pay any legal cost to Brian's lawyers in a workers' compensation claim. That's correct, yes. All right. All right. Well, then let's talk about the workers' compensation claim itself. There's, there's a number of different headings under which they can claim compensation, of course, but the first threshold that needs to be achieved is that of liability, that is establishing an entitlement to claim benefits. And simply put, that is just you have to be a worker within the meaning of the legislation. That's right. And have suffered an injury during the course of your employment or arising out of your employment. Yes, yes. So all injuries and illnesses and diseases that are work-related, and there are, there are thresholds that need to be achieved, but as long as the injury is not deliberately self-inflicted, absolutely, you, yes. you are covered by the workers' comp scheme. Correct, yes, right. that's right. Let us tell our listeners then the process involved in the making of a workers' compensation claim. Yep, so the process obviously varies from case to case, depending on the injury, if there's a dispute or not. But essentially, the first step is to report the injury, so notify your employer update the employer's injury register if your employer has one in place and attend your GP to obtain a medical certificate. Once the insurer has received the initial notification of injury, they must start provisional payments within seven calendar days unless there's a reasonable excuse which could involve, you know, that there is no medical certificate to suggest that the client has actually suffered incapacity to work or there is not enough, you know, information to suggest that the injured worker is actually an employee of that organisation. Now, if there is a reasonable excuse, the insurance company will notify the worker and ask him to provide more information and sometimes even complete a claim form. Now, once that has been done, provided to the insurance company, then they have 21 days to essentially, you know, determine the claim. Now, essentially when liability is not in dispute, there are three entitlements available to an injured worker. There's wages, and they are paid 95% of their rates for the first 13 weeks, and it drops to 80% thereafter, which is after the 13 weeks. Now, wages are paid for a maximum period of five years unless an injured worker has a whole person impairment of 21 and above, and they're unable to work. Then payments are paid until retirement age. Now, the second entitlement under the scheme is medical expenses. So the insurance company is liable to cover all reasonable and necessary medical expenses, including surgeries. Now, I just want to say to our listeners, if there is a declined surgery and the insurance company is relying on the insurer's report and they've denied it on that basis, it is not the end. Give us a call. We do have you know, our medical experts and doctors that we can obtain a medical opinion from 
To comment on the surgery, I have in the past received calls from clients who said, you know, two or three years ago, I was recommended surgery, but I never had it done because it wasn't approved or the insurance doctor never said that I needed that surgery, you know, and they've never had it and their condition has worsened since then. So give us a call. The other thing I want to highlight is that there is actually a time limit on medical expenses. It's two years from the date of injury if there's no wages paid. If there are wages paid to an injured worker, then it's two years from the last payment of wages. But if an injured worker has received a lump sum for a percentage of 11% or above. Medical expenses is extended to five years and if it's assessed at 21% or above then they're covered for life. Let's yes. just go back to the reduced wages because that always catches my attention because and not in a good way. I just do not understand why an injured worker who is absent from work by reason of the injury is only receiving 95% of their wages for the first 13 weeks and 80% thereafter. Mm. I mean, in my view, it's a disgrace. It, it is, exactly. Why are so, you not paid the 100% to which you are entitled, for which the employer pays a premium to the workers' compensation insurer? Exactly. You know, and, and you know, unfortunately, it's that's the legislation. We're stuck with it. Yeah. We can only apply it. We can't change it. And the insurance company gets away with it. So before someone has even lodged a claim, they're already taking a pay cut of 5% for the first you know, 13 weeks and then a 20% car. And those do not include super as well. That's one thing I've wondered about as well. Why is there no provision for super? And in relation to the medical expenses, I recall clients would often complain that the insurance company wouldn't approve a certain type of medical treatment that had been recommended to them. And I would always explain to my clients is that the insurance company do not determine what treatment you have. That's a matter for your doctors. Absolutely. The insurance companies just pay for it. Yes. And a lot of uh, injured workers unfortunately fall into the trap of listening mm. to the insurance company getting their medical yes. advice from the insurance company as opposed to their treating doctors that's so and that's right. that's always the case of course all the risk when they don't have the benefit of good legal advice absolutely all right so we've covered off the wages that get paid while yes. you're off work and the medical expenses that have to be paid by the insurance company including surgery mm. now you mentioned lump sums yes tell so, us about lump sum payments so in a nutshell, you know, in an accepted claim, like I was saying, in addition to wages and medical expenses, once an injured worker has undergone the treatment necessary, recommended by their treatment providers, and that treatment is essentially complete and their condition has stabilised, they can be assessed you know, for their level of impairment if the injury has resulted in permanent impairment. So there is a sum of money to essentially compensate them for that permanent impairment. In assessing permanent impairment, it involves a clinical assessment of the claimant or an injured worker by a CIRA-approved doctor to provide an assessment on the injured worker's level of impairment. Now, we have a panel of doctors who specialise in different fields or are trained to carry out an assessment of permanent impairment, which we use to basically obtain assessments from them to assess our clients or investigate their lump sum claim. Now, there is a threshold. It's 11% 
for physical injuries and 15% for psychological. A question that I will often get from clients is, will their wages or medical entitlements end once they receive the lump sum payment? And the answer is no. As previously explained, the lump sum percentage actually assists or increases their other entitlements. All right, well, I might put you on the spot here. What level of compensation is available for 11% whole person impairment? It depends because it's a different figure of money as to when the injury actually occurred. It is indexed every year. Give us an indication though. <laughs> it's about 22,000 or thereabouts. All right. So now for 11%. So if someone suffers a whole person impairment, yes. right, that derives from an injury yep. that occurred at work that has left them with a degree of impairment of 11%, which is very significant. Yes. They receive a $22,000 lump sum for their pain and suffering and for the inability to partake in normal life's activities, etc. And that is it. That, that is it. That is unfortunately, just pain and suffering, yes, it is. It is not the best scheme, unfortunately. It doesn't help the injured worker. You know, the entitlements are very minimal and it no way places the injured worker in a position they were in before right. they suffered the injury. All right, and let me ask this rhetorical question. Why is the threshold 15% for the psychological or psychiatric injuries? Why do they discriminate against people who have suffered legitimate psychological problems as a result of a, an injury at work? Why are those people being discriminated against? It's just another disgraceful anomaly that exists it in is. these compensation schemes in New South Wales. It is, I agree. There's just, Honestly, there's just no rationale behind it no, whatsoever. absolutely And of not. course, I have absolutely no doubt that this will be the model moving forwards for motor accident claims. I yes. think this government has an intention to amalgamate the motor accident and the workers' compensation schemes so that if you are injured in a motor vehicle accident, your entitlements to compensation will be governed by yes. the, the workers' compensation scheme. I think that's where we're heading. All right, well, let's assume that everything rolls through nicely and the insurance company accepts the claim and there's a medical evidence to establish the degree of impairment, then the injured worker is paid out. But what if the insurance company denies the claim for lump sum compensation? What happens then? Yep. Yeah, so if there is a denial, we basically escalate the matter to the Workers' Compensation Commission. So the Workers' Compensation Commission have a panel of doctors, which we refer to as approved medical specialists, and their assessments are essentially final and, and binding. So if, you know, a, an approved medical specialist makes an assessment or a finding in our client's favour, even though the insurance company denied the claim, they are bound by that assessment and must pay the worker in accordance with the approved medical specialist assessment. And that can be the subject of appeal, administrative review, I think? Yes, yes. They are subject to appeal within 28 days, but there must be grounds for an appeal. And look, those doctors do get their, their reports done properly. There's only very, you know, very few that we can find grounds to appeal, but not so many. But you can't just appeal then on the basis that you don't like the decision. Absolutely. There has to be some error in law in or order to... fact, yeah. yeah to, there to needs to be appeal. grounds, exactly, yes. All right. Well then, if I have been injured at work, unfortunately and I'm looking for a solicitor to represent me, why should I come to Bryden's Lawyers? We do have a division dealing with primarily workers' compensation matters. 
We know the ins and outs of the workers' compensation scheme because we deal with it every day. Like I said, we have a huge volume of declined claims which have been successful. I actually cannot recall a matter which went to the tribunal and we lost. We know the insurance companies and their tactics they use to minimise you know, compensation payouts and we use our knowledge to challenge or roll over those disputes and, and maximise our clients' compensation entitlements. We know how to fast track your claim and get you money to you or your family as soon as possible. We also have a list of barristers who are experts in the field, which we qualify to represent you in a hearing. Well, one of the interesting things that you did say then was that we have great experience in dealing with insurance companies and those who have been listening to this Law Pod series now for some time will know exactly what I think about insurance companies <laughs> and the deceitful and dishonest tactics that they will actually yes. adopt to negate a person's entitlement to proper compensation. Silver, that has been an excellent and helpful overview of the workers' compensation scheme. Thank you very much for joining oh, me today. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope Thanks you enjoyed for having it. me. I well, do. And to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in again this week. I hope that the topic was found by you to be most interesting and helpful. And remember, if there are any other topics that you would like us to address in any of our law pod series, please do not hesitate to contact us directly by email. Address the email to lawpod at brydens.com.au and ensure that you follow us on all our social media platforms, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Silver's TikTok account. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to close it. All right. Well, tune in again next week for another guest and hopefully they might have a, an open TikTok account. Yes. So uh, from me, Lee Hedgematellis, thank you again. <laughs>